Hi, I'm Ben Folds. Today on the Arts Vote 2020 podcast series on arts and politics, Senator Mark Begich and I talked to presidential candidate Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Pete talks to us about how his school music program shaped a lifelong love of music and how that translated into his support today for numerous cultural initiatives as the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, including the lighted sculpture along the river that runs through the city. You may have seen it. This was a project funded by the National Endowment for the Arts, the NEA. He also tells us how, as president, he would show his public leadership in the arts to support both public and private giving to the arts. So let's listen to what Mayor Pete has to say. Mayor Pete, let's start with the basics, and that is really how has art played not only in your personal life, but maybe when you were mayor? How has arts and culture been part of the equation? Well, it's always been a part of my personal life. Uh, growing up uh, uh, playing music, growing up surrounded by the arts, my, my mom was a, a, was a photographer and an artist, and I think that just kind of enriched my upbringing. But uh, it was when I became mayor that I came to really understand just how much good it can do as uh, as part of how community meets its civic aims. Uh, we uh, are living in a moment when there's a real struggle for things we have in common. There's a real struggle for, for unity, and in particular things we can appreciate that cut across uh, political or other tribal boundaries. And a big part of how you do that is that there's a common, deep, innate human appreciation for beauty. And, uh, you know, arts has so much to do with presenting beauty, sometimes presenting stories, things that unite people or... Uh, or at least can can cut across these divisions. So, for example, a uh, very simple-sounding thing, but really important in the life of our city, uh, we had a 150th anniversary celebration. And uh, part of it, and it's great to be reunited with Ben Folds, was uh, Ben came and did a concert. and uh, You guys played uh, together. That's right, yeah. yeah that's probably the highlight of my <laughs> Was he an additive, or did he add to you, Ben? <laughs> well, you know, that, that's the only time I can think of that I've stood and someone else played the piano as a first for me. A bit, yeah. <laughs> I didn't interrupt um, your story yeah, there. No, it was, it was, it was great. great. We had thousands of people. They loved it. Uh, and so had a performance to kind of bring, at a moment when our city was just coming to believe in itself again, after decades of, of, of just taking it on the chin industrially. Another thing we did, though, is we said we want to have something in addition to the celebrations we have on this occasion. We want to have something that lasts. And so we raised the money to put in a, a, a light sculpture. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's a beautiful thing. We, we uh, launched it that day. And uh, it illuminates in the, this kind of series of colors, this cascade on the river that gives our city its name. And what we found since is it's a touchstone. Different people from different sides of the city and different backgrounds and different neighborhoods, different races, all love to come look at this very beautiful spot in our city. And so this this piece of visual art has allowed for a city that sometimes has a lot of forces that are threatening to divide us to have this thing in common. And uh, symbols can do that. Stories can do that. Performances can do that. Uh, visual art can certainly do that. So I've learned that that's very much part of your repertoire when you're governing is to make sure that, that the people you serve have access to that. What's the most recent arts event that you've been to? What's kind of that thing that, that sticks most recently in your mind? I know you've been on the trail. but Well, yeah, we've had a lot of great performances come through South Bend. Don't get a lot of time to, to, <laughs> to attend them. But once in a while, we, we sneak off, and uh, Lay Miz has a great uh, uh, touring production that, that came through South Bend that we had a, a great time with. But also some local stuff going on. we got a group that took an old uh, dry cleaning facility. They kind of moved out, but the owner wants it to go to civic use and uh, basically converted it for different spaces, different sort of chambers in this really interesting, kind of strange space. 
space to be turned into art installations. And it drew people, again, from very different parts of our community to come check it out. Uh, and uh, has become just another part of South Bend's story. Ben, you, you have been, um, you know, with the American for the Arts, but the Action Fund now. And, and it was a couple of years ago when you had a chance to, to play with the mayor. You know, politicians and musicians... It's an interesting combination yeah. at times. But what was that like, and did it give you some insight on how public policy and merging arts can make a difference in our country? Well, it was an interesting experience because, you know, I, I, I do share the stage with politicians sometimes. This was uniquely different with Pete because he's a, a really good musician, <laughs> but, but also because the event had a real sense of, uh, well— your presence on the stage was not so much uh, like a politician presence I'm used to. It was like a beloved entertainer or someone that they knew had hit the stage. So it had a very, it did have a very unifying uh, feeling to it. You know, it. It doesn't appear to me to look historically uh, back to say, you know, uh, Kennedy and Johnson. They seem to be the last ones who had a real effect. I may be wrong, but I can't see any other evidence of real effect on the arts and that they brought the NEA into existence, came into existence at that time. From then on, whoever the president is, the NEA seems to get less or more funding at an almost random rate, which indicates to me that the president has a difficult position in guiding the arts. And I feel like your angle is uniquely future without using the word that much, which is interesting. The same with unity, like a lot of unification, not a lot of using the word literally. What can a president do in that looking forward the way that you do to the year that you'll be the same age as the current president? What can a president do to help guide the importance of the arts and to actually put it into play either through policy or symbolism? Yeah. Well, the, the way you frame that is the exact right one. I think it, there, there's uh, kind of a set of policy tools, and then there's a bigger kind of cultural question. So uh, on the policy front, as you said, it's, it, a, lot, a lot of times it just comes down to resources. So mm. uh, the reason it's hard to think of anything as impactful as the NEA is that that unleashed so many resources that then went out into our communities. And I think uh, as a policy matter, we've got to make sure that we continue to, to build up what amounts to a, a very important part of our national trust, uh, our, our national identity, even our national security in a way, to be able to, uh, to support the flourishing of the arts. Um, I think it was John Adams who said the whole point of being involved in politics, right? He said, I must study politics and war that my sons might be at liberty to, uh, uh, to, to study more advanced things and so on. And that the, mm. high, the top of the pyramid of civilization, once you take care of you know, everything from clean, safe drinking water yeah. to making sure you don't get attacked by a foreign country, the whole point of all that is to build up to the kind of crowning achievements of civilization, which so often come from the arts. Uh, I think right now a lot of this in terms of the policy conversation cashes out in the education piece, right? So uh, there's a, a debate about how we maintain our national competitiveness. And we think about, um, take, for example, artificial intelligence, the rise of automation, and all the changes that means for the workforce. At one level, we're recognizing correctly that we've got to do a lot of technical education to get people ready for all these changes. But what I think we're missing is, you know, the biggest thing that's going to change is the pace of change itself. In other words, no matter how well I get trained in some particular kind of machining, I can rely on the fact that three, five, or seven years from now, something new is going to be asked of me. And so the things that are going to matter even more than specific technical skills are things like problem solving, 
social and emotional learning dealing with people because uh, you know something that is a repeatable physical task in the workplace is probably going to get it automated away but looking for patterns dealing with exceptions handling ambiguity these are the things you still need people for whether you're ta- we're talking about a factory floor or whether we're talking about a McDonald's or whether we're talking about a law firm and uh, that means that arts education is not a luxury uh, especially when you also consider the fact that we're not just bringing up workers, we're bringing up citizens. Uh, so those are some examples where I think resources need to be brought to bear through policy uh, in order to make sure that we have flourishing arts in this country. But the other side is that symbolic piece, just do we have a White House that celebrates the arts? And we've seen examples of that from, from Kennedy's famous sort of salon uh, culture at, uh, in the in the East Room to the fact that, uh, you know, I think the first time most people were exposed to the body of work that became Hamilton uh, was at a White House convening where they brought together people to, to perform. Uh, and so the way I did it back home was just to get up and play the piano. It's not that I'm right. a better pianist than most of the people you could pay and see, but it was enough of a novelty to see the mayor do it and do it competently that it that it kind of brought more people probably than there would have been otherwise. Yeah. Uh, if only the, for the reasons people go to a tightrope back to see if they, you know, you're going to fall <laughs> off. But, there was some suspense to it, right? Yeah, there um, was for me. And, and, and you killed it, by the way. You, you mentioned education, and one of the big issues I know that the Action Fund is interested in, and, and I think a lot of people are. I know I was when I was mayor, that uh, education is a big part of it, and there's always a big push for STEM education, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, math. But there's a bigger push to add arts in that. They yeah. call it STEAM because of the impact that arts can have across all those exactly. disciplines. Give us some of your thought on how you see, you know, as a president, give us a sense of how you think that and what you feel I about that. I think philosophically, the big thing we've got to do is, is break down the idea that this is a luxury. Right. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, art and, and performance and music has always been meaningful for everybody from the, the people who go to the $100,000 plate museum benefit in the biggest city to, uh, you know, somebody who's got nothing in life but a harmonica and <laughs> figures out a way to use it and everything in between. And uh, so we got to recognize that, that this is something that is at every level of our society and that it, it uh, enhances our capacities and all the things you can count. Uh, you know, there's a lot of evidence that we're better at the STEM fields if we've had some musical training. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so there there's a practical benefit. But also, you know, in many ways, this is the point. I mean, you measure a society's achievements based largely on what it creates. Mm-hmm. And so if we're doing well as a country, we should be generating a kind of creative output that helps lead the world. And you think about uh, also at a moment when our place in the world is kind of precarious, mm-hmm. um, when it's not as obvious as it used to be that the American model is going to be the, the leading one in the world. Um, you think back to the importance of culture uh, just as much as the importance of our, our military apparatus, for example. The fact that you had a lot more uh, Soviets trying to get their hands on cassette tapes of American performers than the other way around played a big role in us winning the Cold War. And I think as we look into the 21st century and ask uh, how American leadership is going to be sustained, uh, arts is really uh, a big part of that. And so it goes to education. Um, it also is important at a moment when uh, I think critical thinking is, is important to our ability to function as citizens. I remember being in a conversation somewhere back home and people were talking about the future of education and somebody said, you know, uh, you got these Chinese students running circles around our students and I, I promise you they're not sitting around reading Hemingway. And I was thinking, well, okay, but, you know, if they were reading Hemingway and, and other things, 
maybe they wouldn't be as content to live in an authoritarian society. <laughs> so, you know, we, we need critical thinking in our capacity, as, yes, as, as workers, but also in our capacity as citizens so we make good choices in, in the public square. You know, I know one of the issues, and Ben, we, we've talked about it before with the fund, and that is the National Endowment for the Arts. I mean, it's been average, I think, $155 million, give or take, uh, funding. If you adjusted for inflation over the time, it'd be over $320, million, $350 today, just to keep even. There's been an idea you've kicked around, others have kicked around, of a dollar, uh, I think, per capita. Dollar per capita. Yeah, that make that kind of a baseline. And I guess, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, Ben, or you want to respond. I mean, I, I, that's an interesting idea. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, I, I feel like it's a matter, well, something that's easily understood, digestible, if you say. I mean, uh, you know, one I tried to use to to explain to maybe music fans is that uh, to uh, for for perspective is that in about 20 minutes the NEA is paid for if you're spending equally for the rest of the year so in 20 minutes we pay for our arts when this podcast Federally, is done when this done. podcast is done we're <laughs> finished paying for the arts and the clock will run out for the whole rest of the year paying for all the other stuff it takes to keep the government open that's very little and it's not going to kill arts to not fund it people are artistic and we do it anyway my concern is that we don't we don't understand the importance of unlocking uh, uh, the arts for the economy and education critical thinking that we need to kind of my feeling in talking to a lot of fans is the misunderstanding is we're asking for a handout so people can make stuff. And especially maybe it's an elitist thing that you're making. Are you going to dance in someone's face in the street or something that's confronting? But they don't think about th- that music is all about communication. And there's nothing more important than that. It's an investment. So to, this amount yeah, of money is an investment. So to me, the, 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 dollar, uh, the dollar per head is the government people coming together and saying – this is important. Just the symbolism of it being something that you can put your finger on. That's not. Uh, it's not frivolous. It's important. So to me, that's that's a big thing. And it, it, it with inflation and population increase, it's just a damn shame that it has really gone down so much. And so so we definitely need our presidential candidates to I think uh, stand up for. Uh, I mean, I would love to see a, a dollar per two dollars would be. I'm a musician. You know, but we'll, we'll, we can live with a dollar. I think that's great. It also parallels uh, the percent for art idea that a lot of cities and, and, and local communities right. have come up with, it, which I, I think is great. You know, I, I, maybe this is just my orientation as a mayor, but I think we're living in a moment where a lot of the energy and a lot of the action comes from outside Washington, right? And you see how different communities mm-hmm. are rising to meet this challenge, partly because we haven't been as able to count on Washington for resources as, right. as a previous generation might have. And what you see happening in a lot of communities, and I'm hoping we can get South Bend there too, uh, is that when there's a big infrastructure project, I don't know who started this. It might have started in, in, in Norway, um, but it's definitely happening in a lot of local uh, cities around the U.S. Um, you know, you're, you're building a bridge. It's going to be uh, you know a certain amount to build the bridge. You set aside 1% of that project budget, and that's going to go into art, whether it's hmm. an art feature related to the bridge right. uh, or whether it's something that goes into a fund that the community can decide what to do with. Um, that as you do that, it's just intuitive. You know, a percent doesn't seem like much, but if you if, if you add that up out of all the spending that goes on, uh, it's enough to really build up a really rich uh, uh, texture of, of artistic life in a, in a specific place. So I think when you break it down like that, percent of a project, a buck per person per year in this country, uh, it's... Uh, uh, 
it's a little more intuitive that, yeah, why wouldn't we do that? You know, the, the interesting thing, one of the challenges, when you, when you put this kind of money, let's say the Endowment for the Arts, $150 million, give or take right now, it leverages out a lot of money. One of the things that occurred in the last tax uh, initiatives that were done under the Trump administration was they changed the way charitable contributions work. So if you're middle class, you don't get the deductibility unless you do. You, you don't get deductibility. Uh, if you're wealthy, you get that deductibility in a larger percentage for donating to the arts. Do you think tax policy has a role in helping invest and promote in the arts, or is it not as important? Or how do you see that if you were president? You know, tax policy is going to be one of those things yeah. that never ends in the discussion right. of presidential politics. I think you really need a portfolio that that mixes these things. So part of the idea of the, 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 the NEA and arts funding federally is that at a very, very, very modest level, you take some of what does come in through taxes and, and, and you push it into our communities and, uh, and, and use it in that way. But uh, you would also want to see a tax policy that, that incentivizes people to make contributions. Uh, maybe find a way that that it's uh, uh, no less favorable to the kinds of uh, uh, modest day by day contributions that, right. as you say, are what keeps the you know the civic theater at home. The operational running. parts of yeah. it, yeah, yeah, because you can't put your name on that quite as easily, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's harder. To raise, it's always easier to raise money for the big thing that you can name a building after, or a bench after, or a theater after. Um, uh, tougher to, to have that kind of day in day out uh, support, but obviously vital. Um, and then we also need to, to call on, on community members, of course, to step up. And that's been the saving grace, you know, where it has gone well, is that we've found uh, organizations, entities, companies, uh, individuals ready to ready to chip in. But you, you want to have a sense that this is also a kind of a national project, mm-hmm. um, that, that we as a whole take pride in, uh, in what we're doing in the arts, and, and that means investing in it. Now, the other challenge you have is, um, you know, by its nature— um, the arts generate things that you don't always have a consensus around their value, right? That's kind of the point. In fact, uh, it's my almost, wife and I talk about that a lot about what we like, what we <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, look, there's a lot of you know when you f- make sure there's a lot of public art, you're going to get some yeah. bad public art, at least to your own taste, right? That's part of the point, and and we recognize that in in other fields, we understand that that uh, you know in the business community, not not uh, every business is going to work out. We understand that uh, you know uh, certain policy choices will be controversial, but somehow there's this idea that uh, you know. Every Every, every bit of art that we fund has to be something that all of us agree right. is good and valuable, and, and, and it doesn't work that way. You've got to throw some stuff out there and create the space for people, especially because some uh, it, it's almost a cliche that a lot of great art is not appreciated in its time, right? Um, uh, that uh, all the more reason that you need to create something besides the tastes of the day mm-hmm, or the mm-hmm. tastes of the well-resourced that, yeah. that um, get some resources out there for people to experiment with and play with and, and learn from. From a, uh, the national service perspective that you sort of hit on a little bit, we've been talking about the idea that's out there a little bit of a, a sort of a creative artist core mm. to use art as successful and not. I mean, there's so many college kids probably around – Around your age was the time that I started to realize that uh, kids picking me up at the airport uh, were no longer the generation playing their demo tapes to be millionaires. They were more talking about being uh, music therapists. Hmm. Yeah, it it was interesting because you were used to that. Like 1995, some kid picked me up from the airport and it's going to be like, hey, man, listen to my tape. I'm going to be a millionaire. (laughs) Ten years later, it really was. A lot about maybe some acapella stuff sometimes, which I find that community really just interestingly volunteer oriented. Hmm. And I would 
rope them in immediately because they're ready to go sing. Plus, they're probably ready to go door to door and build things and do stuff and use that artistic symbol of, you know, uh, harmony working together and actually show it to be true uh, in in real life. Uh, But have you uh, has has this been something that's been in your um, periphery at all? People talking about an artist core. And I I think it's I don't think it's been fleshed out at all. It's just a word so far. How do you see that? Well, there is a precedent for that, right? I mean, some of what you saw out of those New New Deal Deal programs was was in the creative space. And, uh, you know, I'm a a big fan of national service. I'm talking about it everywhere I go, largely because I think it, it, you know, I think back to my time in the military. And when I was deployed, uh, I learned how to trust my life to people who were not like me, whose politics I did not care for. Right? I mean, you, you just you working together on something hard um, uh, generates a kind of bond that is in short supply right now in this country. And as we continue to get fragmented and divided and pitted against each other, I often think back to my my time in Afghanistan, where uh, I was with people from radically different backgrounds, and 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 we learned under that pressure. Uh, to to work well together and to trust each other, and because we actually learn to trust each other before we learn to like each other, but but one leads to the other. Um, and uh, you, sh- I guess, the way I feel is you shouldn't have to go to war to have that kind of experience. And so the thought behind national service is not just that there's a lot of projects out there waiting to be done, but also just that in the doing them, there's there's a lot of value. And so it sh- doesn't all have to be military. And when we think about expanding a Peace Corps and AmeriCorps and City Year and, and, and uh, all these opportunities, you know, I haven't heard as much conversation about a kind of creative core or creative element to that, but it makes a ton of sense. I mean, you, this is all about harnessing what is in people that, that makes them great. Yeah. Getting them engaged in their own community in yeah. some way. Yeah, and then inviting them to see value in it, right? right. And and and, uh, and deliver value for others, which is really at this moment when you have kind of a crisis, I think also of uh, not just of, of uh, unity, but kind of a crisis of belonging or, or identity, mm. especially because it's less and less the case that you can establish your identity through a lifelong relationship with a single employer, right? Our, our society is just less and less set up that way. It's a real problem because when somebody wants to ask the question, who are you? Usually they do it by saying, what do you do? And of course, if, if you're my age or younger, you're going to be changing professions more often than my parents <laughs> change jobs, right? So it's harder and harder to anchor your identity in your job. Now, what's really interesting traditionally and historically about people in the creative world is it's not at all unusual for a musician or an actor or a painter um, to have an identity based on that work that's totally different from their day job, right? I mean, the, mm. the, just even the cliche story that your, your day job is your waiting tables in Hollywood and your identity is you're an actor, right? Or the way that musicians, especially early in career, of even the most successful uh, performers and artists, um, is that they have a very clear sense of identity that doesn't hinge on uh, how necessarily on how they make a living. And so we can learn from that as we're looking for other sources of identity and, and purpose and community that can glue us together when the workplace may, may just not be doing that for us anymore. They could be very healthy and, and could rush to fill that void before other much uglier things do, like from substance abuse to, uh, uh, to, to violence, which is where some people wind up when they don't have some other way of expressing and consolidating their identity and their sense of purpose. Yeah. As mayor... I know, for example, when I was mayor of Anchorage, we expanded our museum. And that expansion alone created this economic domino effect. You know, we set that up, then restaurants opened and other places opened and stores opened, and it became an economic engine. Do you, do you think when you talk about the arts, not only the impact into the person themselves, but is there an argument that can be made or a discussion point that can be made that 
investing in the arts, and I use the word investing, is a way to also move an economy or take a part of a community that maybe needs some revitalization. Does does arts have a play in that, or are we always in this kind of positioning that, oh, that's extra? Yeah. Or is it really an investment that can change a community or bring in more business? Yeah. Your, your thoughts on the economic connection to the arts? Yeah, I think we've got to illustrate how important that is. I think about it from the perspective of uh, attraction, right? So every mayor is trying to get business. And uh, the old model was uh, you, you, you cut a deal with tax breaks, you land the big factory, and that's how you're going to get the jobs and prove you're a good mayor. And, you know, sometimes we do – I mean, we definitely still use incentives and, and we still do attraction. But what I'm finding is, you know, by the time – when there's, for example, an attraction opportunity and the CEO – this rarely actually happens, but sometimes it does. The CEO's coming to town, he's sizing up your community and two other competitors and wants to see it, right? Well, by the time they've shown up, They've done the math around land, labor, utilities, taxes, and the rest of it. Uh, you've computed your incentives. They, they, you've figured all of that out. They're there to see what kind of community it is because companies are made of people. And they're thinking, okay, where uh, am I going to be able to recruit people to? Is there a good quality of place here? Mm-hmm. Not just quality of life, but quality of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this uh, a place where, where you know, my, my kids and my employees' kids are going to thrive? Um, is going to be a good look that we're here and not somewhere else. And a lot of that has to do with with culture. Um, And so when you're making an investment in the culture of a place, um, that's also going to benefit you economically. Uh, It's going to benefit you in terms of growth. And what we've got to do is have those kind of more practical conversations and at the same time have the other conversation that this isn't just a means to an end, that it's also just intrinsically valuable, that just human beings in the same way that human beings ought to have safety and human beings ought to have food and health, uh, human beings ought to have access to, to creativity uh, for a their own expression. Life. Yeah, exactly. It's part of what it is to be human, and it's, it's valuable in itself. Uh, but it's both. That's the point. It's both. And so it's all the more reason for us to do it. If we had an, an hour, it would be fun to just ask you about, go back to critical thinking and education and arts place in critical thinking. Because I think about a lot of people use the word, but don't really have a lot of understanding of what critical thinking is, including myself. But I'm interested because I find that music and art in general is probably first and foremost about communication. And like when, you know, when I mentioned that, that, uh, that you're a very future-speaking person and candidate without using the word a lot. And that strikes me as inherently artistic. It's inherently poetic because you, you have a way of describing it, putting someone there poetically and saying, oh, okay, now I can imagine old Pete in this year and what's happened and where am I and are my kids still alive and all these things. And it actually puts you there. If you say just simply in the future, looking forward, that's all you say. It doesn't mean anything to people. So I guess to go, to go back to if we had an, uh, an hour or so, how do you put together the importance of art in education and in critical thinking? How does that work for you? Yeah, I mean, you're right. We could explore this yeah. for hours, but a couple of quick thoughts. Um, one is that uh, what's going to be more and more important as we go, I think, is um, recognizing patterns. Uh, and thinking about what happens when patterns get broken. Uh, And that's true whether you're uh, on a shop floor and you're doing quality control, which is the one part of a production line that's harder to automate and you need to uh, respond when something's coming off the line in an odd way. 
And it's true when you're just a voter trying to figure out what to do when the kind of economic patterns we've relied on for our whole lives are being broken and how are we supposed to respond to that politically. Um, and so it's one thing I think a lot about in, in music, for example. Um, uh, you know, music is about pattern. A key change like arouses mm-hmm. a certain feeling in you because one pattern is being broken and another one's being established. But there's also something about just the ability to relate to another human being. Mm-hmm. I, uh, maybe that tracks with what you're saying about communication. That is incredibly important politically because most social and political evil happens when uh, somebody regards another human being or category of human beings as something other than people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and most social and political good comes from us looking at the interests of others and identifying them, uh, caring about them as much as we do our own. And uh, what a song, uh, a, a piece of creative visual art, a performance, uh, a novel can do is make you think of something that is outside of your experience mm-hmm. as your own. It's putting yourself in somebody's head. And it's what good political rhetoric does, too. But if I give a good speech, I'm bringing, as you say, I'm bringing somebody into that world. Right. Right. And I am convinced that it is, po- while it is certainly possible with, with political rhetoric, and I'm afraid, for that matter, perhaps with, with creative rhetoric, it is certainly possible to make people feel small and divided mm-hmm. and therefore... Uh, um, protective and backward-looking and closed. I'm also convinced that it's possible to use these tools, uh, even speech itself, to make people feel secure and big-hearted and forward-looking and generous. And it's one of the reasons I do this, is because I believe in that capability. Um, And uh, what, maybe above all, art shows us, from from film to song, is that we we really can put ourselves in the shoes of another human being. And when we do that, we uh, in the political space, then we are ready to actually make good on what we all know vaguely but rarely walk the walk of, which is that uh, we all do better when we all do better, and we got to make somebody better off in order to live in a country, a city, a community, a family that actually works. Mayor, we're at the end of our podcast, but I want to ask you kind of a fun question. So let's assume for a moment um, you have no worries in the world. You have nothing. You're a free person. You can do anything you want. What's the artist, actor, musician that you would love to be? Oh, that is interesting. I think um, if I were a better, uh, unfortunately, I'm not talented enough to be a novelist. But you if get I all could, the talent of that person. Uh, oh, well, yeah, then I'd totally be a novelist. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I guess if I could do what Joyce did for the form of the novel, um, uh, but I don't know where else you would take it. So I, I guess it's been done. Um, but but certainly that that kind of work, I, I would love to, um, I suppose, become a, a great actor or, or just just to master a form, any form. Any form to, and maybe, you know, hopefully I'll be able to say someday that I've come as close as you can to mastery of, of the form I work in, which is politics. But, um, <laughs> which is an art. Uh, or government. Absolutely. Absolutely <laughs> is. But the idea, you know, Jimi Hendrix, the way he just mastered the fingerboard of a guitar right. and, and just made it do things that people didn't think was possible. And there was a direct, other people can learn to play the, the, the uh, technical and difficult as they are. You can learn how to move your fingers as fast as he did. But there was, there was such a, a mastery there that things were coming out of his mind uh, and out of his emotions that expressed themselves effortlessly. 
um, on, uh, on in, in a guitar that it would just be beautiful to have that capacity. I'm visualizing you on a stage right now. With so. a bandana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the guitar behind his head. So, uh, well, this is fantastic, Mary Pete. Thank you very much for being part of this, and obviously Ben Folds is always uh, doing the Americans for Arts Action Fund uh, podcast. It's a great chance to add something to the presidential campaign that usually you don't hear on the stage in a way, but you giving your time today was very appreciative. Thank That's you a real very treat. much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe today to the Arts Vote 2020 podcast series with Ben Folds on Anchor or any of your favorite podcast apps. Please go to artsactionfund.org slash podcast for more info. That's artsactionfund.org slash podcast. You'll get more info.